Welcome to Trauma Talk. This program encourages you to do a mental assessment of any trauma you have experienced and help you become proactive in your own personal healing and thereby create a better world for you and your loved ones to live and thrive in. Now, here is the host of Trauma Talk, Ezrina Rose Scott. Good morning, everyone, and thank you for tuning into Trauma Talk. Today's episode is about incest and childhood sexual abuse. Joining me today is Miss Marjorie McKinnon. She has recovered from incestuous childhood sexual abuse, and she is the founder of the Light Lamplighter Movement, and she's the author of several books called Repair, which is a program for recovery from incest and childhood sexual abuse. Hi, Margie. Hi. Thank you for joining us today. How are you? I'm fine. Thank you for having me. Oh, yes. Thank you for being on the show. So let's begin by hearing a little bit about what you experienced in your childhood. Okay. Well, let's see. I grew up in a small towns in the Midwest, um, 90, Catholic, very strong Roman Catholic, uh, very patriarchal family. Thought I had a happy childhood until I was about 13, and at that point I asked my dad if I could be a nun after graduating from eighth grade, and he went into a rage, said no, and I found out a few months later why he said no, and he came into my bedroom in the middle of the night where I had a rosary underneath my pillow and raped me. And uh, I screamed and screamed and screamed for help. My mother was a very deep sleeper. I did not know what was going on. I didn't know where babies came from except that you bought them at the hospital. That's all I knew. And um, I need—I just was in so much pain and so much terror. And by the time my mom finally got to there, my dad had gotten out of the room, and I'm screaming at my mom, help me, help me, trying to describe to her what had happened. And she kept telling me I had a nightmare, go back to sleep, go back to sleep which I knew I hadn't had a nightmare, but that began five years of sexual violence, physical violence. My mother eventually found out, had my father drag me out of bed one night and beat me until I confessed to being the wronged, the person who was wrong, uh, that I caused all of it. I was afraid if I hadn't confessed that it was my fault, I didn't even know what I was confessing to because I had no idea what was happening. But anyway, I was afraid I'd break up my happy Catholic family. Well, at the age of 18, by that time we moved to California, I ran away from home after a beating that almost killed me. And um, I went from the next until I was uh, 45 years old, went from one abuser to another, alcoholics, domestic violence affairs. I became promiscuous, picked up for drunk driving, I was fortunate in that I had four kids who are the most wonderful people I've ever known, and somehow I managed to get them all raised right. I don't know how, because I was a single parent most of those years. And I wasn't until I got to my third marriage where the abuser was so bad that the counselor I was going to said that I would never survive his sadistic tendencies my family doctor had been asking me for years if my father had ever sexually abused me. And despite the fact that my father twice told me what he had done when I was in my 30s, I refused to believe it, and I kept telling my doctor no. And he finally said, I don't believe it anymore. I'm sending to you, you to a child sexual abuse specialist. So that began my five years of recovery, which was tough, very tough. Okay. Let's move back to the beginning here. So you're saying that you were blamed for the sexual abuse? Yes. My mother somehow found out. I don't know whether she saw, my mother, she was meticulous about the laundry, so she must have seen stains on sheets and underwear. And by that time, I'd figured out my father was up to something. And so um, she had him, like I say, drag me out of bed. I had no idea why I was being questioned. She kept saying, what's happening in the middle of the night in your bedroom? And I kept saying, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know, until finally she told my dad to get the belt. And once he started beating me, I do remember that we had a framed copy of the Declaration of Independence hanging above our piano. And I thought if I read that, I would 
not feel the pain. I can remember thinking over and over when in the course of human events, et cetera, et cetera, but I couldn't leave my body. And finally, I just said, I did it. I did it. Daddy didn't do it. It's not his fault. It's my fault. I didn't know what else to do. I didn't even know what was happening. I'm, I'm 13 years old. I weighed 60 pounds. I was very anorexic. I was humiliated years later to find out that people in town thought we all looked like refugees from a concentration camp as my father was very, very strict about much, how much food we were able to eat. So our whole family fell apart after that, just fell apart. And did you take that as your fault as well? I took it on as my fault, even though I didn't remember what happened. I had years of amnesia, you know, like 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 dementia or something. I remember bits and pieces. I remember walking down a long hallway, but I don't remember why. I used to escape out of town to a place called Ray Crick, where I would hide in the woods and climb the trees and write poetry about what was happening inside of me, even though I didn't know what it was. And that became my sanctuary, my refuge. And then I would come back home and the abuse would go on and on and somehow I would escape back to Ray Crick again. And the thought of Ray Crick kept me alive for so many years. Even after we moved to California, I remembered my sanctuary and where I hid out to get away from the abuse. Mm -hmm. But all that time, I knew I was a bad person. I did something wrong. I didn't know what it was. No clue what had happened. I just knew I was a really bad person. And as I went from man to man to man, became a terrible sex addict, and no idea why, uh, why I had this desperate need. It was the only thing that I thought I was any good at. I knew I was a really bad person, but somehow or another, I thought that maybe sex would make me feel like I was a better person. And Did you so think that sex just went from bad to worse and... Halfway through recovery, I found out that my second husband, who had been old enough to be my father, had sexually abused my two older daughters, and I did not know that at the time, and my youngest daughter had been raped at the age of 17 while she worked for a fast food place by a man who dragged her into the back room, raped her, put a gun to her head, told her he was going to blow her blankety-blank head off, and then he took off running. Fortunately, she survived, but that meant that four out of four members of my family had been sexually abused. My son, by some irony, was on the LAPD for many years. Mm. What a strange coincidence kind of thing, but uh, anyway, that's so far. (laughs) So that's really interesting. So in your book, Repair, you state that, and I'm going to quote you here, The children of an untreated sexual abuse victim stand a five times greater chance of being abused themselves. And that sort of ties into what you just said. So tell us more about that and why you think this is. Well, that is so, so true. Part of it is because they watch mom or they watch dad and they see the behavior patterns. They see that mom is obedient they see that mom is uh, is a uh, makes poor choices with men in her life. They see that mom is needy, that she has low self esteem, that she's suicidal. I spent twice I was in psychiatric wards for failed suicide attempts in my early twenties. Um, my, my insomnia. They see the obsessive compulsive behavior patterns, the weak boundaries the eating disorders, they see all of these things that mom goes through and they imitate mom. They make the same unhealthy choices that mom made. They don't know why, they just, you know, kids follow their parents. And and so that's why so many of them wind up becoming sexually abused themselves. They have no sense of self-protection. That's how my two older daughters got sexually abused they did not know how to protect themselves. They didn't know how to ask for help. They didn't know what was going on. So you see this this pattern of following what mom does just goes with them, and it goes generation after generation until somebody stops it mm-hmm. and says, okay, that's it. We're not going any further with this. And at that point, you can start having healthy generations, kids that make healthy choices. But until that point, 
there's no chance for these poor kids. So how many generations back did the females in your your family uh, experience childhood sexual abuse? Well, I don't know for sure. On my mother's side, my mother was full-blooded Finnish, and she had two of the most wonderful parents you could ever imagine. I asked her brother two things about her before she, after she died. Uh, she died when she was 47 of breast cancer. Uh, my father believed that all doctors are quacks and she didn't need any medical help, and she's a patriarchal family. She does what Dad tells her. So she didn't get any help, and she died. But she told her brother before she died that she wished that she had done more to protect her children from their father. And the other thing was that he said she was a very passive person. Passive people, are they make mistakes. They don't think for themselves. So uh, there, it started with me in that side of the family. On the other side of the family, I found out when I went through uh, my own recovery that my father's father was a womanizer. There was a saying they had about him, no woman is safe with George Like. So we have a grandfather, my grandfather, who is a womanizer. So that started there. How much, what which one of his daughters was sexually abused? I don't know because on that side of the family, this doesn't exist. We don't discuss it. Right. I'm not close to that side of the family, so that's the most I could get out of them. But I'm sure that it went back even further on my dad's side of the family. Okay. And I worked with several clients who, when they're being abused by a father or an uncle and they tell the mother... The mother, like in your case, you know, can blame the child or doesn't believe the child. Is it, do you think your mother was semi-aware and just couldn't deal with it or she actually didn't believe you or, or what? My mother, you know, my father, this was in the 40s and the 50s and life was different then. Father, father was the ruler of the house. The patriarchal system was, was the system that worked. And my my mother adored my father. Her saying about him was, even when he is wrong, he is right. And so she believed that everything that he did was correct. And she had to blame somebody. And so blaming me was easier on her than blaming him. Her world right. would have fallen apart had she found out that her husband, who she adored, was doing something horrible to her little girl. It was right. so much easier to blame me than it was to blame him. Okay. All right. And just if you could share with us some signs that adults can uh, look for in children who are being sexually abused, because I think they get missed in the school systems, in families, um, with friends. When a child is being sexually abused, what are the signs for others to look out for? Well, one of the signs is if they don't set any boundaries. And that, that's the biggest problem is not setting any boundaries at all. Low self-esteem. If your child starts acting like she doesn't have any worth at all, there's something wrong there, especially if you give her all of the love and the approval that she needs, but she's still always afraid and feels like she's no good. Something's wrong with that child. If she is having nightmares, if she can't sleep, if she, uh, if she is not acting in a healthy manner, mentally, emotionally, if she starts doing self-harm, that's, an, that's, that's really been coming out lately that a lot of kids are doing self-harm. Where they like take, cutting. You know, that uh, they have weak boundaries, you know. They become very needy. They'll do anything in order to get approval. Right. Um, they, they, they start having addictions. Even at a young age, a child can have, you know, become obese, obese because too much food. You know, kids are starting drugs younger and younger. They're just... And- you can tell by looking at a child, this is a very healthy, happy child, and she's doing really great. Her self-esteem is good. You know, you look at this child and you go, wonder what's wrong with her. There's something wrong with that child. 
She doesn't have any boundaries. She doesn't seem to know to stay away from that bad guy over there in the corner who keeps trying to put his hand up her leg. She doesn't know any better. You can tell by watching. I can usually spot either a potential, somebody who's getting ready to get abused, or somebody who's been abused so fast that it just amazes me because I've seen too many of them. And the mothers don't know. They're not trained because they have not faced their own problem, so they're not looking for problems with their kids until they get help and they get their head on straight and they go through a recovery program. They cannot help their own child. Their own child is a victim waiting to happen or that has already had a problem. Yeah, and one of the telltale signs is when your child switches. It's almost like they switch a personality overnight. And, and sometimes adults aren't even paying attention, and sometimes it comes out in anger. Um, have you noticed that as well? Like yes. a sudden switch? Yes, it, it's, it's being angry. There's healthy anger and there's unhealthy anger. And a child that's exhibiting unhealthy anger, you no know, reason for it. Healthy anger is when you're trying to protect yourself. Somebody comes at you with a knife and you get angry and you try to fight back. That's healthy anger. But yeah, if for you sure. get angry and you go into a rage attack for no reason, no, that's not normal. That's not healthy. That could be one of the problems that could be there as well. Okay. And... Explain how you had no memory of the abuse. So sometimes the anger can show up and and people don't have a, a memory of where the anger is coming from. Share with us a little bit before break here, or maybe we'll save this for after break. Um, the, the question is how you had no memory of the abuse until your third abuser. Well, I remember the first time. I remember it just as vividly as you could imagine. There's no problem with that first time. After that, my memory just shut down. So because the first experience was so painful and so overwhelming, would you say that your psychological system blocked it out in order for you to cope and survive? That is certainly true. That is certainly true. Okay. I um, I mean, I've been asked that many times. I've had people say, oh, well, it only happened one time. No, it didn't happen one time. When my father told me about it, he referred to it as the sexual, the incest relationship we had while you were a teenager. And that doesn't refer to one time. And then I went through hypnosis with my a therapist okay, Marjorie, uh, and my family doctor. The team of them got together. They put me through hypnosis, and they took me back Margie, in time. Margie, I'm just going to have to interrupt you. Um, let's save that for after the break. We're going to go to a break now, okay? Sounds good. Okay, thank you. We're on Facebook along with some of the greatest minds of the world, and that includes you. Visit us on Facebook at Voice America Empowerment. Visit Ezrina.ca for information about counseling and body healing services. Ezrina is a master's therapeutic counselor registered with the Association of Cooperative Counseling Therapists of Canada. She has 10 years of counseling experience. She will work both in her office as well as via Skype or will travel to your area through her workshops. You can even schedule a session online. These sessions are one hour or 90 minutes long. Visit Ezrina.ca. Again, that's Ezrina.ca. Ezrina Rose Scott conducts several workshops every year, and she can bring them to you wherever you are. Visit Ezrina.ca or call 250-212-5596 for more information. Ezrina is an access consciousness practitioner. Her popular workshops include access consciousness, the bars, as well as workshops on money, body, and relationships. Ezrina's workshops can help you get unstuck and move forward in your life. Find out more or bring a friend along. Visit Ezrina.ca for more information or call 250-212-5596. Have you become a member yet? 
Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are listening to Trauma Talk with Ezrina Rose Scott. To reach our program today, you may call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. If you'd rather send an email, you can send it to Ezrina at Ezrina.ca. Now, let's return to Trauma Talk. Margie, you were telling us about how you didn't have any memory of the abuse after the first incident. Can you share some more, please? Well, I used to call it AM and PM when I went through recovery. PM meaning pre-molestation, AM was after molestation. And I could remember all of the happy times, all of the good times before this started happening. After it started happening, it's like I fell into this huge black hole. And there was nothing but bad. There was, I, everything was just shameful, and, and I was always in grief, and I was always afraid. I was afraid to go to bed at night. I was afraid to go to sleep at night. I was uh, um, made fun of at school because I shook constantly. Um, like I say, we, people thought we were victims from a concentration camp. So my self-esteem, there wasn't any. I had crooked teeth. I thought it was the ugliest thing in the world. I didn't want to have kids. And as, a, as the years went by, I would have these bad nightmares, horrible nightmares. I would wake up screaming and screaming and screaming for help. And, and then it would take a long time for me to calm down afterwards. I can remember different men I was married to that would just have to hold me down to keep me from going berserk because the nightmares would go on and on and on. And that lasted until my father passed away. When my father died, the nightmares quit. It was really oh, bizarre. Interesting. It took me a while to figure out something's missing in my life. What is it? And then I realized I haven't had those nightmares for a long time. And I never once thought that I was sexually abused. I remember my best friend asking me one time, Did you, do you think your father sexually abused you? I said, of course not. And she said, why? And I said, he was Catholic. Well, little did I know but that organized religion is one of the biggest indicators of child sexual abuse. There's several major factors that feed into this child sexual abuse. It's like a modus operandi kind of thing. And, and, and uh, uh, major religions like that is one of them. But I, it didn't dawn on me. Years went by, years went by. I kept having the nightmares. I was um, I never read anything to do with rape or sexual abuse. I never even, I tried not to think about it. Um, I, I had no memory of any of it. When my father told me when I was in my 30s and he wanted to get together for dinner and then he said he wanted to talk to me about what happened when I was in my teens, it's incest relationship that we had, I can still remember being terrified. We'd gone to dinner, we went for a walk, we went back to his hotel room. For some reason or another, he's sitting there smoking his pipe, drinking brandy, looking over at me as I'm sitting on the bed saying, Sis, kiddo, I want to talk to you about the incest relationship we had when you were a teenager. And I can remember freezing and this, like, door slamming open in my mind, and I'm running from room to room to try to escape from these memories that are just pouring all over me while he's talking. And that's all I remember of that night, except that I remember driving home afterwards, and I was hysterical, just screaming and crying and carrying on. And then... I, I I went to my mother's best friend and I talked to her about it and she looked at me with horror like, oh my gosh, what are you 
talking about that kind of thing doesn't happen. We don't do things like that. And so I put it out of my mind. And then years went by, and I continued going from one bed, bad guy to another bad guy, and still no memory. My doctor kept asking me, and I kept saying no, no, no. I went from one therapist to another therapist, and most of them never asked me anything about my childhood at all. The few that did never once even hit on anything to do with my father or any relationship I had with my father. So there was no help there anywhere, just a waste of money through the years until finally my family doctor in my mid-40s when I was married to this very abusive man who had himself been sexually abused and who had sexually abused his sister and his daughter, I found out later, then my family doctor got me in with a woman who had been sexually abused herself and was a specialist in the field of child sexual abuse. And she got me started on recovery. Even then, I thought, this is ridiculous. This is such a waste of time. Why am I doing this? And then she had me go home and write, draw pictures of myself I was told, I said I can't even draw stick figures, but she said, draw pictures of yourself every, few, every three or four years. I want you to draw a picture of what your life looked like, and then I want you to use colors, different colors, red for rage, blue for peace, green for, and use different colors to depict different emotions, and then bring them to me at the next session. So I sat at the kitchen table doing this, thinking this is the silliest thing I ever heard of, and I got to the age of 13, and I found myself drawing a picture of a bunk bed. Uh, my sister slept on the top bunk bed. She was a year younger than me. My baby sister slept in a crib next to the bed. Found out later that both of them witnessed what happened to me. Um, and I, I, I drew a picture of a young lady laying on the bottom bunk bed and the door opening and man with graying hair coming into the room. And I grabbed a color and I wrote, help me, help me, help me, across the face of the picture. And I burst into tears. So I took all these pictures to Marcy, and I showed them to her, and she said, I think we need to get you to a hypnotherapist. That began my journey through hypnosis of reliving the different times, when it began, when my father beat me for it, when he continued, everything that happened, he had me go through it. And then I remember asking him afterwards, do you think that I made all this up? Because I told him he would not be able to hypnotize me. I said, I'm too strong, Lois. You can't do this. I don't believe in hypnosis. And yet I did. I went back in time, and I relived all of this, and I asked him if there was a chance I had made it all up. Am I a drama queen? He said, no. He said, do you remember at one time when you were sobbing, and I took a Kleenex, and I went to put it on your face, and you recoiled in fear, and you started shaking? And I said, yes. And he said, that's a sign of somebody who's been severely abused. He said, there is no chance at all that you made any of this up. Your father really did rape you. Your mother blamed you, and your father beat you up as punishment for what he was doing. This did happen. So how can a person become aware sooner? How can they become aware sooner than I did when I'm, you know, waiting through four marriages and God knows how many men (coughs) become aware sooner? You have to want to get well. I did work the 12-step program while I was in recovery. I went through Codependence Anonymous, which is an enormous help. And they have a saying in 12-step programs that you have to reach your bottom. I reached my bottom when I was married to my fourth husband. The, The abuse was so severe that I literally lost my mind for a long period of time while I was in that relationship. You want to get well sooner? You have to have the courage to look yourself in the mirror and say, you know what, something's not working right. There's something wrong with my life. I think I need help. I wouldn't recommend just running off to a therapist. Okay, a therapist is going to fix me. Not all therapists are equal. Not all of them are trained to help child sexual abusers. They mean to help. They mean to do well. But they may not be trained in that area and may not be able to do the right stuff for you. So you need to, I would recommend beginning to go to a 12-step program just for the heck of it. Let's go. 
I went with a fr- my best friend and I went together. I heard about it. This is years before I went in recovery. I thought, you know, something's wrong with my life. I'm married to alcoholics. I keep getting beat up. I'm a sex addict. Something's wrong with my life. This doesn't seem normal. I'm going to go to this 12-step program that was recommended. So Peggy and I went to 12-step program, Codependence Anonymous. We came out of there, and she said, well, I think being codependent is very noble. And I said, how did they find me? Now, you would think that that would mean I would stay in that program, but I didn't. For some reason or another, I just walked away from it. I wasn't ready yet. But if you know that your life is not working, that you are unhappy, you know, it's like I say in the beginning of my book, Repair Your Life, if you, I'm trying to find the page right now, if you, if your life is working for you and you're very happy, you don't need to read this book. You don't need this help. If you don't have any nightmares or any, but here we go. If you are happy with your and your life is working well, you don't need this book. If the partner you are with treats you with care and respect and your world is peopled with those I'm sorry, I had to get my glasses on here. People with those who make healthy choices, you don't need this book. If you have no dark and painful shadows from your childhood lurking in the corners of your mind, you don't need this book. If you can say all of that to yourself, you don't need this book. But if any of those are true, don't walk. Run to the nearest 12-step program and start getting involved in fixing your life. Get the book, Repair Your Life, and begin repairing the damage done to you. It is not normal to live a life full of abusive partners, addictions, cutting suicide attempts. I, I can't tell you how many times I tried to kill myself and how angry I was every time somebody interfered and kept me from doing this. I was so angry. The last time I tried it, I was towards the end of my recovery. I was still away from getting away from this man I was addicted to, and I was getting ready to cross a very busy street on my way to work, and I saw this huge truck coming towards me, and I thought, okay, There's nobody nearby. Nobody can stop me. This time, I can do it. This time, I will will go through with it. I threw myself in front of the truck as it was coming. Somebody grabbed the back of my shirt, pulled me away, and I can remember feeling the wind from the truck as it went by. I could feel my feet wobbling on the steps on, on the curb as I came back, and I was so angry. I thought, who in the world... Did that, and I turned around. I was going to give him the rough side of my tongue, and there wasn't anybody there. There was wow. nobody there. I knew then there's a reason why all this is happening. There's a reason why I have to keep on going. God made me like this. God gave this this cross for me to bear so that I can help others, so I could be a lamplighter or something because I used to say to myself, if I had a lamplighter, oh, only if I had a lamplighter, somebody that could tell me where to go, what to do next. Because back when I started recovery, there wasn't programs. I mean, I joined this, I joined that. They didn't work, they didn't work, they made things worse. There was nothing. I had to figure out my own program. And that's how I came about making repair. Okay, and I'm going to ask you a little bit uh, more about repair a little bit later. Um, what happens with people who don't have the majority of those symptoms? Uh, so they're not attempting suicide. They're not doing outwardly obvious uh, self-harm. Um, they're not having nightmares or what have you. Yet they are shut down and still very destructive behaviors. So very often some will say, oh, well, I don't meet most of those traits. Um, I don't have any childhood sexual abuse, and yet on the outside, it may be obvious to others. What? How do you help someone who is so shut down or so in denial to, to encourage them to look at the past 
Adios. You know, you have to find a reason to want to get well. It might be that you have children and you're watching your children and you're seeing that your children are, are be developing behavior patterns that there's something wrong here. You're trying to be a good mother, but something's wrong. That might be one of the motivations that's going to keep you going. You might, unfortunately, they say in 12-step that some people's bottom is death. Some people, they can't make it there. They can't. It's tough trying to get healthy. Trying to drag yourself away from an abusive life into a healthy life, it's not easy. It takes courage. You've got to find the courage somewhere. Turn to God if you believe in God. Get into a 12-step program. Find some reason to put one foot in front of the other to start moving towards a life. It's like the bridge of recovery where you go on one, eye, on one side of the bridge, you've got all this ugly, bad stuff, and your life is filled with crap. Or you can start moving across that bridge, and it's not easy. It's one step at a time. Keep moving, keep moving, keep moving, keep moving. Don't give up, don't give up, keep moving. And on the other side, keep picturing a happy life. Keep picturing it. And you will get there if you keep picturing it and you keep moving across that bridge. You will. You will repair yourself. You can repair the damage. It's like a wound. When you were abused as a child, it's like somebody slashed you and you have a wound and you didn't get it. You didn't put medication on it. You didn't get to a doctor. You didn't get it fixed. So it became infected and it went through your entire body and your life became ruined because you didn't do something about that wound. Now you've got time. You get in there and you repair that wound so that you won't have that infection in your life anymore and you can be on the other side of the bridge. So if someone is not aware, not willing to look at themselves, not willing to look at their life, not willing to look at the childhood sexual abuse and how it's playing out in adulthood or they become the abuser or they're very destructive in other people's worlds, if they're not willing to look at that, what do you do with someone? You know, it has to be their choice. It has so you to just be have to step, their step decision back. to get well. Nobody can make anybody get well. I mean, yeah. my daughter told me later that if I hadn't gotten rid of the last abuser, she was never going to have anything to do with me. That wouldn't have done it. Nothing will do it except you've got to make yourself want to do it yourself. Nobody can make you do it. There, There is no magic formula where you can zap that person and say, oh, okay, I see they're having problems, and, and they don't know it yet, so I think I'll zap them and make them well. No, <laughs> you can't do that. If only we had the power, hey? Yeah, if you had the power. I mean, life is a choice. Yes, it's our life choice. Is full of choices. We can do what we want with it. You want to keep on going down that path? You want to keep falling in that hole? You want to keep picking the same guys that are bad guys? Keep going. Do that. Yeah. You want to damage your kids and set off generation after generation of more damage of children? Keep going. Keep going. Or do you want to make life well? Do you want to make life good? Do you want to be happy? Do you know what it's like to be happy? Do you yeah, want especially to after know years of so like much unhappiness and pain, hey? Well, yeah. And, and to you finally know, have joy. You're happy, you have distractions. Let's drink. Oh, hey, I think we'll get drunk tonight. That's going to make me happy. Oh, me. Obesity. You get to eat a lot. That'll make you happy. People have distractions in their life. Yeah. Uh, sex addicts, obesity, uh, alcoholism, self-harm, different things that they do to distract them from the pain. If they do these things, they won't feel the pain, they won't remember the pain, they won't have to face the pain, and so they've got to get rid of those distractions. They've got to get... The only way I know is the 12-step program to get the first step. I don't, you know, I just... I can't recommend strongly enough that that would be your first step. I don't even say a therapist would be your first step because you might hit the right one, you might not hit the right yeah. one. Okay, so Margie, um, we're going to go uh, to a break. And when we come back, I want you to share with us more about the repair 
and the recovery process, okay? Okay. Okay, stay tuned, everyone. Find out what makes the most successful people tick. Keep listening to the Voice America Empowerment Channel. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Visit Ezrina.ca for information about counseling and body healing services. Ezrina is a master's therapeutic counselor registered with the Association of Cooperative Counseling Therapists of Canada. She has 10 years of counseling experience. She will work both in her office as well as via Skype or will travel to your area through her workshops. You can even schedule a session online. These sessions are one hour or 90 minutes long. Visit Ezrina.ca. Again, that's Ezrina.ca. Ezrina Rose Scott conducts several workshops every year, and she can bring them to you wherever you are. Visit Ezrina.ca or call 250-212-5596 for more information. Ezrina is an Access Consciousness Practitioner. Her popular workshops include Access Consciousness, The Bars, as well as workshops on money, body, and relationships. Ezrina's workshops can help you get unstuck and move forward in your life. Find out more or bring a friend along. Visit Ezrina.ca for more information or call 250-212-5596. Become a member of VoiceAmerica.com. It's easy and best of all, it's free. Start out by going to our homepage or any of our channels and click register at the top. Once you've created an account and signed in, you can create your own custom library, opt into our newsletter, search by show, host, guest, or topic of interest, or browse millions of hours of content across all of our Voice America radio channels. Membership gets you more. Visit voiceamerica.com today to get started and tailor the listening experience to your taste. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. You are listening to Trauma Talk with Ezrina Rose Scott. To reach our program today, you may call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. If you'd rather send an email, you can send it to Ezrina at Ezrina.ca. Now, let's return to Trauma Talk. So one of the traits that I've seen to be very consistent with uh, people with childhood sexual abuse is uh, lack of boundaries. And what's really interesting about that is when you grow up in a household with abuse, not only do you not know what a boundary is, you don't know how to use them, you don't know how to apply them, uh, some don't even know what it is that it exists. And that's interesting because... With choice as well, when we grow up in abuse or childhood sexual abuse, we don't even know what a healthy choice would look like, especially if we're imitating uh, a parent that isn't healthy. So just to talk a little bit about um, the symptoms of childhood sexual abuse and how they show up in adulthood is making bad choices. So like Margie was saying, it's about choosing uh, abusive men. Uh, or abusive women or abusive people in our world. That includes friendships as well. Uh, Just surrounding ourselves with people that actually continue the abuse because that is what is familiar. Um, Mentally, what it it shows up as is some negative self-beliefs, feeling and thinking that you're not worthy. Uh, Emotionally, there could be rage, anger, guilt, shame. And Margie had mentioned when I spoke to her before that when a child of sexual abuse feels shame, it's because the child is often blamed and they feel shameful for their behavior, but also they are actually expressing the shame of the perpetrator, of the abuser. Uh, Physically, what can show up as symptoms of childhood sexual abuse can be uh, disease and disorder. It can be pain, 
and other somatic symptoms. Margie, so anything you want to add? No, other than um, if you ever want to ask me anything about the book repair. Uh, Well, yeah, I was just talking about choices. So uh, just give us a couple examples of what a good choice is, a bad choice is, and then we can link that to repair for sure. Oh, okay. Um, one of the things I did when I was in recovery is I found a book, I mean, I found a uh, sweatshirt, and on it, it said, what part of no don't you understand? And for some reason or other, I bought that shirt, and I started wearing it. I was with my abuser at the time, and you cannot believe how much strength that gave me. At the time, I thought, what the hell am I wearing this dumb thing for? But it scared him. He thought, so one of the things you have to remember is you have the power. What part of no don't you understand you can say to anybody you want that tries to get you to do something you don't want to do? That's one sign of a healthy choice, saying no. And choice is power. Choices are hard. Yeah, it's not easy, especially when you spend your whole lifetime saying yes, 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 yes. All of a sudden you say no. The first time you say, you know what, I used to stand in front of a mirror when I was in recovery. I had to practice saying no, 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 no. Okay, try it again. Say no, no, no. Because I was terrified of saying no. But more I did it, the more I could do it. Awesome. Okay, and what does repair uh, include? What does the recovery process look like? Okay, in the book repair, the first thing, repair is an acronym, spelling out the names of the the stages of of the program. R, the first one is recognition. And that means you have to admit that something bad happened to you when you were younger that was sexual or even any kind of abuse or violence. You have to recognize it. If you don't call it by its name, you can't start working towards it. So that's number one. And then the E, the second part of E is entry. You make a choice. You decide, oh, gosh, I want to get well. Now I know, okay, now I know something did happen to me. I don't know what it is. I can't recognize it yet, but I know what happened. So let me see. I'll start going to a 12-step program. Let me check out some therapists. I'll question them. Have you ever worked with therapy, childhood sexual abuse therapy before? You can hire somebody by asking them questions about what kind of, what have they done before with their, with their practice that they know enough about whether they can help you. You make the right choice about entry. What kind of entry you're going to do? What are you going to, are you going to go to, are you going to write your own book? You can write your own book about what happened to you, what happened when you were a child. The more you write, keep a journal. You can do those kind of things. And then you come with the P. P is process where you do the nuts and bolts of the program. Like I stood in front of the mirror and had to practice saying no. Like I found a, 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 a brochure at a pharmacy one time that said, say, uh, um, losing your bit, your, your, using your, using your ability to make a choice is a bitter pill to swallow. I cut that out and put it on my mirror. Next thing I knew, every time I saw a positive saying, I put it on my mirror. By the time I finished recovery, I had my mirror covered with positive sayings. Every single day I read every single one of those positive sayings, I had to take away all the crap that had been buried in me for years, and I had to replace it with positive sayings with new ideas of what I could do and what I could become. So that was part. I did a family history so I could find out what happened in my family, how I could find out that I'd been a pawn on the chessboard. I didn't ask for this. I yeah, that's called a genograph, too. It's very helpful. Yeah, so that awareness and awareness, you start realizing that. You realize you were pawn on the chessboard. Then you get into insight. And once you get into insight, you look at the whole picture and you can see it just as clearly as it happened. I am not responsible. I didn't do this. And then the final one, the final R is rhythm, is where you return back to that what you were before you were abused. Happy. Making healthy choices. You return to that kind of a person that that you have now become, what you used to be before that happened to you. That's what the final stages of repair is. Okay. And then what, uh, share a little bit more about what this uh, rep- recovery process entails. Like what, what the recovery what, process is what? What happens when somebody goes through the recovery process? They're going to have memories come forward. They may have body sensations surface. They may experience some acute pain while the memories are coming forward. And I, I have this example, actually. I was working with this lady in her 30s, and she came to me and 
we had recovered a memory of her being molested at age six. So I took her through the process of uh, resolving this particular experience, and she actually puked in my office. Her body had such a visceral response to the memory, and her body had held uh, parts of that in her body. And when it came forward, it came forward very efficiently, and she purged it. So that's an example. Now, that's a dramatic example. Not everybody's going to do that. But what an efficient way for her body to rid the effects of that abuse. So what else does the the recovery process, what, what can happen? Sometimes you cry. You cry a lot. Yeah, uh, I cried a billion tears when I went to recovery. I never wanted to. I never meant to. But sometimes you do. And it's all like in the crying, you get rid of the poison. Yeah, okay, yeah, this did happen. You face it. You face it, and you crawl, you ball your damn eyes out. And you keep on moving. You keep on moving. And, and it's not easy. You have to keep, okay, so, yep, this isn't easy, but I'm going to do it. Just don't get rid of that one little part of you that says, I am a person who has a right to make any choice I want, and I choose to get well. And you have worth despite the way someone has treated you. Everyone has a birthright of self-worth, and that can be damaged when uh, you're abused or sexually abused. Someone can can damage your sense of self-worth. But to remember in the recovery process that you you are worthy and you are worthy of healing and change and recovery. Right. Uh, And and, and always remember that nothing in life is ever going to be perfect. You're going to have bad things happen to you from now until the time you die. But now you got the tools to make them right. Now you got the tools to make the right choices. You no longer have to just head down that path and hurt all the time. You can go, oh, wait a minute. Okay, I know how to fix this. Now you got the right choices. You got the right tools. Yeah. And just to finish up on today's episode, I just want to encourage anyone in the audience or anyone that you know who has experienced childhood sexual abuse, I want to encourage you to find the courage to heal because it is possible. Right, Margie? It is absolutely positively you you can heal. And it doesn't matter how old you are. I've had people in their 70s say, I'm too old to fix myself now. No, you're not. No, you're not. What if you live to 90? you got 15 years left. Keep working on it. Keep working on it. doesn't matter how old you are. You have the right to be happy, and you can be happy. Yeah, and what else is possible? So thank you, Margie, for being on Trauma Talk, and thank you, everyone, for tuning in. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to Trauma Talk with Ezrina Rose Scott. Be sure to tune in to the program again next Tuesday at 12 noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Until we speak again, make this week your best.